Wes Bowles, how you doing? Good. Hey, we are, uh, we are in part two of a series we were going through. is a church called Square One. And the idea behind Square One is very simple. We're looking at a couple big questions as a church. Questions like, who are we? And where are we going? Who are we as a church? And where as a church are we going? And if you missed part one last week, it's really easy to get caught up. You just go to westbowls.com, click on the media tab, and you can catch last week's sermon and be all caught up. But this morning, um, I'm going to take a risk with you guys. And um, because I'm going to be vulnerable with you, I'm going to ask you to be nice to me, okay? So what I need you to do is those of you who know me, um, I'm going to ask you to look up here and come up with a word or a phrase that describes Nathan, okay? So that's the question. Ready? Who am I? Go. Okay, I heard, I, I don't know if I heard awesome or awful over here. Um, okay. Sincere. Okay, wow, I, I did not even pay you guys to say these things. This is great. Hot. <laughs> Thank you, honey. I hope that was my wife. She said hot. You know, that's actually a great takeaway for this week. So I'm going to close in prayer and... Uh, if you're having a rough week on Wednesday, just remember Nathan's hot, and that'll get you through. Oh, man. All right. So where were we? Um, hey, there's one label that uh, I don't think anybody in here thought of, but it was a description that was given to me in high school. This label was given to me, and it stayed with me. You ready? Speed bump. Speed bump. I, I was a freshman at Columbine High School. I was on the track team. And one day at practice, I was crossing the track, and I'm looking this way. And what I don't see coming are two seniors on the track team who are also linebackers on the football team. And so when do you think I finally saw them? Yeah, after they ran over me. So I'm laying on the ground, and there's no offer from them to help me up or anything like that. All I heard was their conversation, and their conversation was this. Oh, sweet. There's a speed bump in the track. <laughs> High five. Huh? And I was like... There's also two really big, dumb idiots on the track, but you don't say that when you're a freshman who's five feet tall and 90 pounds, you don't say that to a linebacker on the football team. So the next day, I went to gym class, and one of these guys was in my gym class. And I walked in, and immediately I hear, oh, speed bumps here. And I was like, shut your mouth. That's actually not what I said. I, what I said, I, we're in church, so I can't say what I said. But um, he proceeded to tell the entire class, in, including the teacher, what had happened the day before. And what do you think I got called for the next four years of high school? Speed bump. Speed bump. Because that's what everybody wants to be called, right? And at first, I thought it was funny. And then uh, that lasted about two hours. Um, because I realized I hated that name. Because even if nobody else knew that story, it reminded me of a time in my life where I felt insignificant. And like I was in the way. And that I was an afterthought. And that actually shaped how I carried myself after that. Because after that, I felt like I had to prove something to people. I was out to prove that I'm not in the way. And I'm not an afterthought. And I am significant. And it affected, I carried it with me. Through high school and even past high school. Now, I realized looking back that I got off easy. Because every single week... When we come here with the youth, the junior high and the high school, I'm reminded of the labels that are thrown out when you're in school. You know, labels like meathead and dumb jock and brainiac and nerd 
and flirt and promiscuous. Except those aren't the terms people use. The terms people use are a lot more colorful. And it's language that nobody should ever be labeled by. But it happens. And you don't have to work with youth and you don't have to be a parent to know about those labels that get thrown out in school, do you? Because the truth is some of you are sitting here right now and you still remember today the label you were given in school. And it still walks around with you. For some of us, it's not the label that somebody gave us in school. But for some of us, and it doesn't even have to be a bad label. But for some of us, the label we carry around is what we do. You know, we're employed or we're unemployed. Or we, we are a construction worker or we're manager or we're secretary. And for some, it's not what you do, but it's what you have. And you carry around a label that speaks to what you have. It's the car you drive, or it's the kind of house you live in, or what area of town you live in. For others, it's who you hang out with. And for others, it's what you want to be. It's funny, it's smart, it's athletic, it's in shape, it's popular. For others, it's our accomplishments. You know, we think winner, number one. For still others, it's our failures and our past. And you carry around a label like cheater or quitter or addict or criminal. And then we all face the labels that culture throws at us, right? I mean, you get on Facebook or you get on Twitter and there's like this image of yourself that you feel like you've got to show everybody in order to receive the label culture wants to give you of accepted valued, worthy, or you turn on the Super Bowl commercials. Did you guys see the Super Bowl commercials this year? The Calvin Klein ad? First of all, that was not just a six-pack that guy had. That was like a 17-pack, and that was me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we live in a culture that says if you don't have this, and if you can't be that, and you can't do this, then you're not worthy of this label of valued and approved of and accepted. And those labels stick with us. I mean, look at this, 18 years later, and it's still speed bump is in my mind. I mean, I will drive through the neighborhood, and every time I go over a speed bump, I'm like, oh, yeah, that time in my life. They stay with us, and they shape us, and we make decisions based on the labels in our lives that we're trying to hold on to or maybe get away from. And the truth is that even if we have a label that we don't like, it's scary to let go of a label, isn't it? Because there's something in us that feels like that label will somehow define who we are. And that points to this thought. That we are not seeing clearly. Something is wrong if we think that a label is going to be what defines who we are. We have a flawed view of who we are and where we find our identity, if that is the case. In short, we don't see clearly. We don't see clearly, and that's because of our human nature. We just don't see clearly. And you know what? The, the worst part of all of it is we will spend so much time and effort and energy either trying to hold on to those labels or trying to get away from them. In fact, here's a crazy thought for you. When you are conceived, this is not growing and changing class. Some of you are like, earmuffs. No. I mean, when you are conceived, you start as one cell. And it stays that way for just a little bit, and then those cells start multiplying. And by the time you're born, you are composed of over 75 trillion 
cells. And inside each of those cells is a DNA code that your heavenly father put inside of you. It is over three billion letters long. And everyone's is unique. But it tells you and it tells the world who you are. And literally our God knit us together in the womb. And in his word he says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. On top of that, from the time you're that one cell to the time you become those 75 trillion cells, over 24 million seconds will go by. And by the time that 75 trillion cells gets into high school, you will have been in existence for just under half a billion seconds. Now here's where I'm going with that. And this is crazy. It's crazy to think that we could get to high school or get to a job one day and a kid can come along or a manager or a friend or an enemy or a coworker, and they can give us a label that can override everything that is in those 75 trillion cells about who we are. Or we can come across a 30-second commercial that throws out a label at us that we pursue that can override the previous half billion seconds that we've been in existence. One label can do that to us. And it's messed up. It's messed up. You know what the end result of that label is? Those few seconds that it takes for that label to burrow into our lives and etch itself in. The end result is not seconds and it's not minutes, but it is days and weeks and months and years and hundreds if not thousands of dollars spent living up to or in some cases living down to or chasing after or holding on to or trying to get away from a label because we think that will define who we are. A few seconds does that. And in some cases, an entire lifetime will go by and we miss it. We miss who we really are because we think it's labels that define us and we've spent our whole lives chasing those when the reality is we just don't see clearly who we are. And you know when you finally see clearly? It's at the end. It's at the end of high school. It's at the end of the kids living in the house. It's at the end of life. When you look back and you say this phrase, I wish. I wish I hadn't spent so much time caring what other people labeled me. I wish I hadn't put so much energy and effort into trying to be that label. And it's not until regret is on our doorstep that we finally see clearly. And I'm here to tell you this morning that it does not have to be that way. The truth is we can see clearly now. We can see past the labels now. And so what I'd like to ask you to do this morning is just consider that those labels that maybe you think are defining who you are and who we are are actually pulling us away from who we actually are. And out of the millions and billions of seconds that we've all been in existence, I'd like to spend a few of those, relatively, a few of those seconds this morning looking past those labels that only took a few literal seconds to get into our lives. Because you know what we're going to find out when you look past those labels? What we're going to find out this morning is that we already have an identity. And it's an identity that transcends any of the labels we have. And it's an identity that can come front and center in our lives again. And we're also going to find out it's an identity that has tremendous potential attached to it. And I can stand up here and I can say all that and I know that because of one conversation that we're going to look at this morning. 
And it's a conversation that took place long before you were here and long before I was here. It's a conversation that took place between Jesus and his disciples. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. But before we get to that conversation, you have to know that this conversation is immensely, immensely relevant for our lives today. And it's a conversation that is really, it's timeless. Meaning it's a conversation that took place between Jesus and the disciples. But it's a conversation that could take place and it should take place today. And it's a conversation that is ultimately encouraging. And it's encouraging because the people connected to this conversation and the people that this conversation was about, they were people like you and me. They couldn't see clearly. There were people that in their lives, we will see a few situations where they probably had some labels for others and for themselves. But the encouraging thing about this is that even though they couldn't see clearly, the end result of the conversation, we see them find out a true identity, who they really are. And so we're going to take a look right now. We are in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And again, uh, you can probably tell, um, if you don't have your Bible, you can just follow along on screen. All right, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this was a term that Jesus used. We're used to referring to Jesus as the Son of God, aren't we? His divine nature. But Jesus would oftentimes refer to himself as the Son of Man. To remind everyone that yes, he was the son of God, but he's also the son of man. He was born from a human. He's the son of man. And their response to this question illustrates what we were just talking about that we don't see clearly. Look at their response. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Can you imagine being Jesus right there? I mean, he has made this statement over and over and referred to himself as the son of man. But that's proof that we humans, because of our human nature, we don't see clearly. We can have the truth and we can have reality right in front of us and totally miss it, can't we? And you can make a case for the people who answered this way and say, well, look, Jesus, they don't walk with you. They don't talk with you. They don't know you. You know, it's not like your disciples who they get to hear from you every day. And then Jesus turns the question to those who should know him and who do get to walk with him every day. He looks at the disciples. In verse 15, look what he asks. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, verse 16. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now to me, it's very interesting and it's very significant and ultimately it's very encouraging that Peter is the one to answer this question. Because if you know anything about Peter's life, you know that our lives, we can see a lot of our lives in Peter's life. Because Peter has these moments where he just doesn't quite see clearly. And he doesn't quite get it. But Peter, before he was Peter, he was a fisherman named Simon. And when he came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he said, you will be called Cephas which means Peter. And what does Peter mean? Rock. Yeah, you will be called rock. And if you're like me, when you think of a rock, you think solid, right? 
But if you know anything about Peter's life, this time in Peter's life, it seems like he was anything but solid. And he has these moments that I know I relate to, and I'm sure we all relate to. For instance, there was one moment where they're in the boat, Peter and the disciples, and Jesus, they see him walking on the water towards them. And Jesus says, get out of the boat, Peter, come to me. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he's actually walking on water for a little bit. But then he starts sinking because he gets scared because of the wind and the waves. And ultimately, we had a lack of trust here. Peter doubted. And we can't relate to walking on water, but we know those moments, don't we? Where somebody says, trust me, trust me, trust me, and all you do is worry, worry, worry. And doubt. There's another moment in Peter's life not long after this conversation where Jesus has just predicted his death. And Peter says, no, you will not go to your death. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, we can all relate to calling each other the devil, right? Well, I call my sister that a lot. So, um, But you know what? When Jesus says Satan and he's looking at you, that's bad. Okay? But he goes on. He says, you're a stumbling block right now. You are in my way. You're a speed bump right now. You're a speed bump. You're in the way. We have those moments, don't we, where we feel like we're in the way. Another moment in Peter's life. The guards have come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, who has heard for a few years now about loving others and loving your enemies, well, some people just show love in kind of weird ways, and so he pulls out a sword and he cuts off a guy's ear, one of the guards' ears. And hopefully nobody in here has cut off a guy's ear. But we all have had those moments where we take things into our own hands, haven't we? And we think, if I don't do something, then it won't happen. Or if I don't do something, that will happen. Not long after that, someone spotted Peter and recognized him as a follower of Jesus. And they said, you were with him. And what does Peter do? He denies that he even knew Jesus. Not just one time, but three times, Peter denies he knew Jesus. And we all know the moments of betrayal in our lives. Moments in which we turn our back on someone or someone turned their back on us. And then finally, after Jesus is crucified, there's this moment in Peter's life where it looks like he has given up on ministry. And he's gone back to the one thing he knew before he knew Jesus, and that was fishing. And it looks like he has quit. See, there are these moments in Peter's life where it's like you feel like he's just not getting it. And there are moments in my life where I feel like I'm just not getting it. And so why is this encouraging? Because of what Jesus says next. Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Some versions say Jonah. This would indicate that Peter got it right. And that's encouraging to me because it seems like the guy who, he seems to always get it wrong, he got it right. And that gives me hope because if that guy can get it right once in a while, I feel like I can get it right once in a while. But then right as you see Peter's self-confidence kind of rising, Jesus just like drops him. Look at what he goes on to say. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In other words, Peter, good job, you got the right answer, but you didn't get it. Somebody revealed it to you. 
And it was God, not you. Ha, ha, ha. I don't think he actually did that, but. (laughs) And you know why this is encouraging ultimately to me? Because we, even though we don't see clearly, we have a heavenly father who sees clearly. And even though we don't deserve to know what he sees, you know what he does? He reveals to us what he sees, even when he doesn't have to. And then right after this, Jesus does this strange thing. He turns the tables on this whole conversation. Because up to now, who has this conversation been about? Jesus. But now look what he says, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter. Well, that's kind of strange. I mean, Peter knows his name. Now I say to you that you are Peter. You know what? Something very remarkable happened for Peter in this moment. And it's something that we can't miss because something happens for us in this moment too. See, Peter, remember, he couldn't see clearly. But when God, who does see clearly, makes clear to Peter, and Peter gets clear on who Jesus is, see what, see what Jesus does here? He turns and makes it clear who Peter is. When Peter sees clearly who Jesus is, Jesus makes it clear who Peter is. And in that moment, all the labels that Peter was probably carrying around fell away. In that moment, Peter was no longer fisherman. He was no longer doubter. He was no longer stumbling block. He was no longer Peter who took everything into his own hands. He was no longer Peter, the denier, or Peter, the quitter. In that moment, Peter saw clearly what Jesus saw all along. He was Peter in Christ. Peter in Christ. And in that moment, that same remarkable thing that happened for Peter, in that same moment in our lives, when we see clearly who Jesus is, you know what? The same remarkable thing can happen for us. And that is this, that when we declare who Jesus is, we discover who we are. When we declare who Jesus really is, we discover who we really are. And in that moment that we make that declaration, all the labels fall away. In that moment, you're no longer quitter. You're no longer employed or unemployed. You're no longer cheater or addict or manager or winner or funny or smart or popular. All of that goes away. And in that moment, you get a glimpse of what Jesus sees when Jesus looks at you. He sees himself. That is who you really are. That is who we really are. When we declare who Jesus is, we discover who we really are. On your way out this morning, you're going to get a name tag. And what I want you to do is when you get home or when you get in the car even, I want you to find a pencil or find a pen, and I want you to write down the different labels you're carrying around with you right now. What are the labels in your life? You know, is it one big one? Is it 20 that you just, you feel like you bounce in between? But I want you to write on that name tag what those labels are. And then I want you to find sometime this week 
the biggest, fattest, boldest marker that you can find. And I want you to write down what Jesus sees when Jesus looks at you. Because you know what? When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the labels you're carrying around. He doesn't define you by the labels that you've been given or that you're trying to live up to or live down to or chase after or hold on to or get rid of. Jesus sees Nathan in Christ. He sees John in Christ. He sees Janet in Christ. Rick in Christ. Ken in Christ. Steve in Christ. And if I didn't say your name in that list, you're still in Christ, okay? Unless God's trying to tell you something this morning. But when I first came here to West Bowles, it was 1996. I was 15 years old. And you know what? If I had a name tag, it would have said speed bump. And it would have said timid. And it would have said insecure. And it would have said needs approval. And it would have said a whole host of things. But I had a friend, Ryan Wellborn at Columbine High School, who saw all those labels in my life, but he invited me here anyway. And I got to be honest, my first time here was not exactly a ringing endorsement for coming to youth group. Because I showed up, and I was like, oh, I don't want to go. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. I'll be right with you. And we walked in the door, and Ryan was just like, he was gone. Just ditched me. And we had gone bowling um, a few days before, and that was when I had met Ryan Long. And I walked in the door, and I see Ryan Long, he's like, hey, gutter ball. And I was like, awesome. So I like showed up at church. Showed up at church. Thanks, Ryan. He's probably not in here because he knew this was coming. Um, and I just swapped labels. I went from speed bump to gutter ball. Awesome. And then that, at that time, the youth group was high school age and kind of college age. And so I didn't know who was a leader, who wasn't a leader. There was this guy who was like 24 or 25 and my entire first night at youth group, I'm just listening to this guy's life and how it's falling apart. Now, can you imagine being 25 years old and you're dumping your life problems on a 15-year-old? I'm just going, what? I'm not coming back here. And then the next week, Ryan Wellborn convinced me he really wouldn't ditch me that next week. And I walked in the door and Ryan Wellborn ditched me. And Ryan Long called me gutterball again. And then I see this guy I'd been talking to and he's like, hey. Thank you for talking with me last week. After our conversation, I decided I'm going to start new and I'm moving to Montana. And I'm like, I don't even know what I said. <laughs> He's like, you just, it was very reassuring what you said to me. And I was like, well, I certainly didn't mean it. <laughs> you were just this creepy weirdo that I wanted to like get away from me. But something kept bringing me back and bringing me back and bringing me back. And over that next year and a half, God did that thing that God does. God, who sees clearly, opened my eyes to who Jesus really was. And I had grown up in a Christian home, and, but something about that year and a half, and specifically the month before my senior year, it was over a time period of about a week, and it wasn't some big crazy moment. I just had my eyes open to who Jesus really is. And what I discovered is that youth group wasn't some weird thing in my life. Suddenly I discovered who I really was. The labels fell away. 
And when I showed up here at church, I realized that I was with a group of people who were also declaring who Jesus really is in their lives. Because remember, when we declare who Jesus is, we discover who we are. And as I look back, I discovered something that I still need reminders about. And that is this. That when we don't have to spend time and energy and money and focus on figuring out who we are, because we already know who we are, we get a picture of something that is much bigger picture for us. And it's this. If you go to verse um, 18 again, look at what Jesus says. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Whoa. That's what I got a picture of. That the rock that Jesus is building his church on is the declaration of who Jesus Christ really is. And it is the most powerful force in the world. And nothing, nothing, nothing will stop it. Because Jesus is going to build his church no matter what. And I've got, I got to see that in high school and I get to see it every single week, and I've gotten to see it ever since then, and you know what? It never gets old, ever. I mean, think about it. From the time Jesus said this, nothing has stopped his church. It's only grown. There's been disease, there have been wars, there have been plagues, there's been famine, there's been persecution, and here we are. Jesus is building his church. And when you don't have to worry about who you are, and the labels in your life, you can focus, you can get laser focus on that fact that you get to be part of what Jesus is doing, building his church, and nothing will overcome it. And I'm reminded of it every week. We have youth in the youth group. Who, we have some who a parent walked out at a very early age in their lives. And they could live, live down to the labels that society gives that or live up to whatever you would say it is, of angry, of abandoned, of statistic. And yet they show up every week and those labels don't apply. Instead, they walk through life with one another. We have youth in the youth group who have been church kids their whole lives, and there's that stereotype of the church kid, right? That it's like they know it up here, but there's nothing right here in their heart. And a lot of them leave church once they once they get past their teenage years or during the teenage years. And yet here they are every week. And their faith is not their parents' faith. It's now they have their own living faith. And we have a youth group who is redefining what church is, that it's not a building and it's not just Sunday, but it's all week long everywhere they go. Parents, that is what we want your youth to find when they come here at the church. That they would discover who they really are so that they can see a bigger picture. But that's not just for the youth. That is for everybody in here. Everybody at West Bowles. We want West Bowles to be a place where we find out our true identity and be part of the church that Jesus builds and builds and builds and builds. And nothing, nothing, nothing will stop it. But it all starts with this one idea that when we declare 
who Jesus is, we discover who we are. Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you so much that you are a God who you do not have to reveal anything to us. And yet you see clearly who we are. And it's amazing because incredible things come out of that. So, Father, I ask that going forward, just like Peter forgot, even after this moment that he made this declaration, he forgot who he was at times. Will you remind us on a daily basis who you really are so that we can see who we really are? Because we need that so desperately. And, Father, we pray to be used as a church, as West Bowles Community Church, but also your church worldwide. We pray to be used to help others discover their identity. And that is an identity that is found in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.